Today's reading is taken from Romans 8, verses 18 to 27. Present suffering and future glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. When I was learning to preach, I was told that a possible structure to an introduction uh, could be like following several mountain peaks. Um, you might have things that were global, and then national, and then local, and then personal. You could either start at the individual level and move back out, or you could start with the global and then narrow down into the personal. Well, COVID-19 hits all four peaks. We're in the middle of the greatest health crisis for a generation that will affect us globally, nationally, locally and personally. And in the face of that, how can we pray? Where is God? Now, we get used to the unthinkable, almost perhaps on a daily basis, as we've had to readjust to a different routine, a different rhythm or even no rhythm at all as we have to care for stay-at-home children of different ages, perhaps create an office at home or work out whether our work counts as essential or not, as we reflect on the observation of the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rome Williams, who said to Emily Maitlis this week on Newsnight that this was a time to think what matters and who matters. The question is, how are we to live lives of faith and hope? surrounded by anxiety, fear and uncertainty. The irony hit me this week that as Christians, we're supposed to be used to what we call fruitful isolation. The spiritual discipline of solitude should have prepared us for such a time as this. And I speak as someone who's always struggled to take prayer and study days or go on silent retreats. Again, I was struck by the irony that I began reading a book a few weeks ago whose title now seems a little redundant. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Well, this certainly has been ruthless. Not many of us on Ash Wednesday thought that we'd be giving up this much for Lent. Henry Nouwen described solitude as the furnace of transformation. Without it, he said, 
we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of false self. Solitude is the place of the great struggle and the great encounter. The reality is that we're all now getting a crash course in solitude. The dilemma of facing suffering, uncertainty and pain has always been the experience of the church. Indeed, one of the main themes of our faith has been how we as human beings read, react and respond to pain, sickness, disease and even death. Things that as human beings we were never meant to experience. This morning's passage is unbelievably timely as the Apostle Paul addresses the very subject of how we pray in the face of pain and suffering. In the first 17 verses of Romans chapter 8, Paul outlines the life-changing consequences of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. We've moved from death to life, from law to grace, from the flesh to the spirit. Now Paul outlines the path to glory for the church, and just like the path that Jesus followed, it involves suffering. And where there is suffering, there are often groans. You may have groaned a lot this week, groaned when the schools closed, groaned when shops shut, groaned at the sight of another supermarket queue, groaned at the latest press conference from Holyrood or Westminster. Well, here in this second half of Romans chapter 8, there are three specific groans in the face of suffering and pain. The first groan that we see in verses 18 to 22 is the fact that the very creation itself groans. The world around us knows that this is not the way it was meant to be. Whether it's at the level of organisms and antibodies, whether it was viruses or volcanoes. This world is not the way that God intended it to be. Paul speaks of creation in verse 20 as feeling frustration. The word means emptiness, futility, purposelessness, or it being transitory. He describes it as being in bondage to decay in verse 21. And that word decay has the sense of the universe itself running down. It feels pain, verse 22, but that pain is the pain of childbirth because it waits, verse 19, in eager expectation. And the picture that that word and phrase paints is a picture of a head raised, a bit like a meerkat, on tiptoe, eyes fixed for that point in the future to come, neck strained, craning forward. What for? Well, not the end of lockdown, not the end of social isolation, not the end of social distancing, but the revelation of God's children, verses 18 to 19. Just as we wait for an end to what we think of as normality, the very creation itself, the earth, the cosmos, is waiting, looking forward, expectant, waiting for God's children to be revealed. But as we wait, then we groan alongside creation. And that's the second groan in verses 23 to 25. The reality is that we groan. We feel the tension inside us between the now and the not yet, between who we know we were made to be, created to be, intended to be, 
and who we are. Paul writes in verse 23 of us groaning inwardly. We have, he says, the first fruits of the Spirit, the first installment, the deposit, the down payment, the pledge of what's to come. But we feel incomplete, short of who we will become. But this incompleteness expresses itself as hope. Christians are characterized as being people of hope. We're neither optimists nor pessimists. We're not fatalistic, neither are we doom merchants. We're not unrealistic or denying of the reality of pain, death, sickness and disease, but we have hope. And Paul says our hope is one of glory. The Greek word is doxa. It refers to the unutterable splendor of the eternal. The Hebrew word chabod has a sense of weight and importance. And Paul says that the glory that is to come will make our present sufferings appear as nothing. And boy, do we need to hear that this morning. We're not alone. We may be socially isolated. We may be socially distanced. But we're never alone because of God himself. And here is the third and final groan and one of the unique features of Christianity. Paul writes in verses 26 to 27 that it's not just creation that groans. It's not just we as the children of God that groan, but God himself groans. The Spirit himself intercedes for us, Paul says, through wordless groans. As someone said, prayers are sometimes sighed rather than said. Maybe that's been your experience this week. Your response to the latest news, the latest press conference, the latest government guidelines has been an inner groan. News perhaps of somebody that you know showing symptoms of COVID-19 has emitted from you as a groan, as a sigh. Well, that's true of the way in which the Holy Spirit prays as well. Wordless groans or aching sighs. Paul says he knows us better than we know ourselves. The Spirit searches us. And as the Spirit searches us, the Spirit groans, sighs, cries out on our behalf. But Paul says these groans lead to glory. These are sighs in the middle of suffering because we believe again uniquely in a God who is both sovereign but a God who also suffers and sighs. That well-known quote from the author C.S. Lewis has never seemed perhaps more relevant. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts to us in our pain. Today I believe that God the Father is shouting. And the question is, will we listen? In our solitude, in our isolation, in our doubt and uncertainty and anxiety, God the Father is shouting. We're being brought face to face with how things really are. We're being brought face to face with who we really are. God the Father is shouting. 
God the Holy Spirit is groaning alongside us. And will we open ourselves up to his power, his peace and his hope? And finally, we do all this because the Son suffered. Will we accept the life that Jesus bought for us on the cross? Will we accept his forgiveness? Will we look forward to sharing his glory, even as we share in his suffering, even especially in the face of suffering? One of the songs that's meant a lot to us over the past few months has been, I will raise a hallelujah. Mark's going to lead us in singing this song together as we respond to resolve to trust God, even in the face of suffering.